Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And such was the case with David. He was delivered miraculously out of this situation by the grace of God. And um, Isaiah 66, of course this was last week, we finished chapter 66 and with it the book of Isaiah, but particularly verse 2, if you don't mind, I actually would like for us to revisit this verse. Now keep in mind in verse 1 of chapter 66, God has through the prophet Isaiah declared that heaven is His throne. And the earth, well that's where He puts His feet. It's His footstool. And He's sort of setting up this notion that He is God who created this, the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that in them is. And and really, the heavens are His throne, the earth, the earth. It's just his footstool. And then in verse 2, he inspires Isaiah to say, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. You get the picture, right? And then he says this, But, this is from the God whose throne is the heavens, and whose footstool is the earth. That's pretty impressive, right? He says, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Don't want to spend too much time on this. We talked about this last week, so suffice it to say that this is God who would say, you know, I'm not impressed easily. In fact, nothing impresses me except this. I I am not moved by anything. I created everything. But there's one thing that I take notice of. There's one thing that that touches my heart, that moves me, that impresses me. You know, you know what it is? <laughs> it's the one who's humble, who's broken, who's contrite. You know, broken things to us, they are of no value. What do we do with broken things? We throw them away, we replace them. No. The Lord values brokenness. The Lord loves brokenness. You remember Isaiah 57? I'll refresh your memory, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who, and here it is again, really, inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, whose throne is the heavens, whose footstool is the earth. This is what he has to say. I dwell in the high and holy place 
with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know what's striking to me? In the Gospels, you know who Jesus was attracted to? The least and the last. Do you know the harshest words ever to come out of the mouth of the Savior were reserved for the religious leaders? He was repulsed by them. He was attracted to the humble. The least, the last, the lame, the blind, the cripple, the needy. I mean, that's why He came, right? He says, this is who I dwell with. This is who I want to be with. This is who I'm close to. It's the humble, it's the broken, it's the contrite. And, oh, by the way, I dwell with the contrite and the humble so that I can revive the contrite and the humble. Well, I kind of wanted to lay this foundation. And with this understanding and with that, I want to share with you five reasons. There's so many more. But just five, and I chose these five because they're very, well, how do I say it? Um, They're very personal for me. Um, I have tasted from the cup of all five. (laughs) I have drunk deeply from the cup of brokenness in these ways, and I'll even take it further and say that I can stand before you and say that I am so thankful to God for those times when He just broke me. Now at the time, of course, I wasn't thanking God at all. (laughs) God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? And please God and now I look back in retrospect and it's more like this it's like oh wow now I see why you did that thank you so much Lord thank you for breaking oh it was so hard so painful so humiliating but Lord thank you thank you for breaking me The first one is that God breaks us to bless us. In Genesis 32 we have this record, you know it well, Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night long. Now for those of you that were with us in our study through Genesis, we kind of got to know a little bit about this personality that Jacob had his temperament. He was a strong-willed man. I know you know nothing of that, but so, but just, you know, we'll, we'll pick on him, I guess, right? Very strong-willed. 
And I mean, <laughs> so much so that God wants to bless him, but God can't bless him until God breaks him, because he's too strong. And, and here he's wrestling with the Lord, saying to the Lord, Lord, bless me, I will not let you go until you bless me. To which the Lord's response is, well, Jacob, I can't bless you until I first break you. Then I can bless you. The blessing will never precede the breaking. So what does he do? He touches the socket of his hip and changes him for the rest of his life. He's never the same again. His walk is never the same again. Outwardly, he's a broken man, walking with a limp physically for the rest of his life. But not only was he changed outwardly for the rest of his life in this breaking, but he was changed inwardly. I find it very interesting that God would ask him, what's your name? What? What God? You don't know my name? You forgot my name. <laughs> You're all knowing. No, he, he, he knows his name. What he's doing is he wants Jacob to answer this question of, what is your name because your name is your nature. He's really asking him, what is your nature? Um, Jacob, yeah. You know what Jacob means, right? Yahob, heel grabber, schemer, strong-willed, conniving, scheming, that's what Yahob means, Jacob. He says, you will no longer be Jacob. He changes him when he breaks him and gives to him the name Israel, governed by God. Governed by God? Yeah, because now he's been broken by God. See, I, I, I hate to say it like this, but for lack of a better way of saying it, I know you know what I mean when I say this, but God has a problem. God doesn't have problems, but the problem is, well, we're the problem that God has. We're God's problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that God wants to bless us, but He can't because He first has to break us. Oh, I, 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 I want to bless you, J.D. And, and, and you've been crying out to me, you've been praying, you've been asking, you keep on asking, you've been seeking, you keep on seeking, you've been knocking, you, you keep on knocking. I want to bless you, but I have to break you. I have to break you because you're too strong. You're too strong. Many years ago I, I read about this um, 
example, and it's really stuck with me over the years. This is uh, in India, before the days of the farm machinery, when they would use buffaloes to plow the, the fields. And the writer shares this experience when he was a kid. He would, he would look at this Indian farmer, very small, thin man, and next to him is this large beast, this buffalo that could literally crush him with just a move of any part of him. He could just smush, smash him and crush him instantly and effortlessly, but doesn't. Why? Well, if you look close enough, you'll see these scars on that buffalo where the buffalo had been broken. That's why. That strong animal has been broken. So now, when the farmer goes to put the yoke on that big buffalo, the buffalo bends down because it's been broken. Roy Hessian in his book, The Calvary Road, he must read, it's really a devotional, and I've lost count of how many times I've read it. I referred to it more recently. It's become quite a reference for me now. But he shares this uh, uh, example about how, you know, when Paul says, it's not I, but Christ. And I is the stiff-necked I self that needs to bend and bow. Because see, the C, Christ, is a bent I. It's a broken eye. So it's not I, but Christ. Jacob, JD, we need that I to break and bend and bow to be that, that C. Not you, but Christ. I want to bless you, but I can't. And this ties into our Second one, which is that God breaks us to humble us. Now, join me in Second Corinthians chapter 12. I'll, I'll begin reading in ver verse 5. But let me kind of uh, set this up just real quick, because this is again a familiar passage, I'm sure, to most. So, God wants to bless us, but He can't bless us until He breaks us. So He breaks us and then He blesses us. Right? Now we got another problem. <laughs> because He wants to bless us so abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above and beyond anything we could ever think or possibly imagine, let alone ask. But now the problem is, it'll go to our head. And we'll start thinking that it was us. So how's God now going to bless us so profoundly without having it make us proud? Ah, enter the Apostle Paul. 
Let me begin reading in verse 5. I'll kind of comment along the way. Because he says, I will boast about a man like that. Like what? Oh, 14 years prior. Paul doesn't even, he doesn't tell a soul. But he finds it necessary now to tell this carnal Corinthian church. He, he doesn't want to, but he now, it seems he has to talk about something that happened 14 years ago. And he refers to himself in the third person. He doesn't even say it was me. He says, I know a man. He's not being dishonest. It's him. He, he, knows, he knows a man. He goes, it's him. But he's so careful in communicating this to them that he's even hypersensitive to get anywhere close to sounding like it's a boast. So he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Okay, let's stop right there for just one second. Let's rewind the video 14 years prior to this. Paul, I really want to bless you. I want to bless you so much. I actually want for you to come up here and just get a glimpse of the glory that awaits. But I can't just do that with anybody. Because if I did that for just anybody, <laughs> and they are able to see these surpassingly great revelations being caught up into the third heaven, well, it's going to go to their head. And they're going to get full of themselves, boast about themselves. And they're going to go on a book tour about themselves. I'm sorry, but... So, he says, therefore, and this is important, in order to keep me from being conceited. Some of your translations render it exalted above measure, puffed up, full of self. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, listen to this, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Okay, you lost me at weaknesses, by the way. Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. Yeah, you delight in them? Yeah. You boast in them? Yeah. Why? Because, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay. Stay with me, please. One of the things I'm learning in my own walk with the Lord is that God will break me to humble me so I can handle the blessing that He has for me. In other words, maybe better said, God will deem it necessary to package the grand and glorious blessings with the breaking of crushing hardships. Because if He didn't do that, like with the Apostle Paul, we would boast in our flesh we would become conceited, and we would become full of ourself and all of our pride, thinking that it was us. So, problem solved. I'm going to bless him in ways he could have never imagined. But, I've also got to package that blessing with this breaking, continual breaking. And he's going he's gonna to ask me to remove, and by the way, you know why it is that we're not told specifically what the thorn is? Oh, speculation abounds, of course. But it's left generic by design, because were we to know specifically what it was, then if that's not something we struggle with, we would just dismiss it at hand. So it's kind of, it's kept generic, and, and, and it's a blank line for us to fill in with whatever that thorn is in our lives. Um, it, it torments me. <laughs> I wake up to it every morning. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. There it is. God, please. No, you don't want me to remove it. I've allowed it, because it keeps you humble, so that you don't get puffed up. It's actually for your protection. See, if I bless you as <laughs> gloriously as I want, and as you've asked, I will then be party to your own destruction, and I cannot do that. Because let's just kind of carry it through, and let's just say for purpose of discussion that whatever the exceeding revelation, surpassing revelation is in your life, that profound blessing in your life, let's just say for purpose of discussion that it wasn't packaged with some thorn, some humbling, 
some breaking, something that keeps you perpetually and continually broken before Him. No one would want to be around you. You'd be so full of yourself. Why? Because you would think that it had to do with yourself. And God knows that, and God's protecting us from ourselves. <laughs> From self. He's protecting us from self. Before we move on, let me just say lastly, and again this is very important. That trial in your life, whatever it is, that thorn in your flesh, if you prefer, it's there for a reason. God knows what He's doing. Yeah, you want Him to remove it, but truth be made known, you don't want Him to remove it. Because whatever that is, it is keeping you completely dependent and reliant upon Him. And only He gets the glory. So you, like Paul, for 14 years, keep it to yourself. And then when you do finally boast, <laughs> you do so in the third person because you're so hypersensitive to touching the glory because no glory, no flesh is going to glory in His presence. You know, God does things in our lives, those blessings in our lives, He does it in such a way so that even if we tried, we couldn't take the credit for it. Look at how God blessed the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. You talk about exceedingly abundantly, above and beyond anything, yet how much hardship, how much breaking, how many shipwrecks? He tells the Corinthians 3, how many times was he, actually it might even be more, I'm, I'm thinking about Acts 28 uh, uh, right now. That, I think that, that might have been the fourth. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, <laughs> once or twice. But how many times was he beaten, whipped? Lystra, he, that's when he was caught up to the third heaven, by the way. Stoned to death, left for dead. All that he went through. And, and please don't miss it. He delights in it. Thanks God for it. Thank you God for the hardship, for the breaking, for the insults, for the whippings, for the shipwrecks. I thank you for all of it. In fact, I boast about it. I'll write a book about that. How about that? It will not sell well. Because people don't want to read about that. The blessing of brokenness? Come on. I don't want to talk about brokenness, because again, we devalue broken things. We've got it backwards. It's the paradox of the Christian faith. <laughs> Paul even says, you know, I know that in me there dwells no good thing that is in my flesh. I am rotten through and through. I know of my own propensity for pride. And by the way, we see the progression in 
his letters, he starts off, an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the time you get towards the end of his life, his final letters, chief of sinners. Wow! <laughs> this is, uh, we had a staff meeting last week, I think we talked about this. Uh, when it comes to titles, you know, what's the title on your card? Founding pastor, author, I'm not. If I was, author, speaker, expert. I mean, I've got a list. Do you want, do you want me to email it to you? I'll email you my list. It's quite long. Quite impressive too, actually. But you know, the title really should be Bond Slave. Chief of Sinners. You know, as you grow in grace and mature in Christ, you you would think you would arrive at this place, you know, of holiness and godliness. But again, we've got it backwards. It's the exact opposite that's true. As you grow in grace and mature in Christ, you become more aware of just who you really are. And it takes a breaking, a breaking to come to that place. Maybe God wants to bless you, but can't yet bless you, because you would not be able to handle it without getting puffed up and conceited. So, He's going to prepare you for that which He has prepared for you. And it's going to come by way of a breaking. Well, this brings us to our third one, which is that God breaks us to purify us. Now, (laughs) this is where we bring David back into the discussion. This time Psalm 51. Now this psalm is, again we're told kind of the backstory behind it. This was subsequent to his adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband Uriah. And you know how he tried to cover it up for the better part of a year, many believe. And we're even told, we're given a a kind of a glimpse that during that time, he, he, he was dying inside. He was dying inside. Well, this psalm was written after God had just broken him, had sent to him a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan presents this case to David and It's really quite striking because David becomes incensed. How could this man take the only one sheep that this guy had? And he pronounces judgment and no sooner than when he pronounces judgment does Nathan, speaking for the Lord, say to David, Thou art the man. And what does David do? Oh, he just crumbles and repents to his credit. 
Psalm 51 is really the the psalm that came out of that, and it's so powerful. Let me start reading in verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and 